Hey, and welcome to our 41st class on the Christian Basics, or for my Lutheran teenagers out there, Confirmation. Every week we aim to bring you biblical content that will help you in your new or emerging walk with Christ. This week we're looking at whether Jesus really died and rose from the dead. This is more of a historical analysis of the important story that Christians say, that Jesus really did die and rise from the dead. I'm joined by my friend, Taylor Neal. He is with a ministry called Search, which helps uh, folks learn more about Christianity. You can go to their website, searchnational.org. Let's roll. All right. Well, thanks to Taylor for uh, joining me for this discussion. This is our 41st class. We're looking at the historical facts surrounding the death and resurrection of Jesus. If Jesus didn't die and rise from the dead, then, as Paul says, you know, we are most of all to be pitied because, you know, Jesus wasn't risen from the dead. So um, I'm going to do a video on the difference it makes, like why does it matter that Jesus rose from the dead? But this is really just looking at the, the historical account. You know, if, if this actually happened, there are religions, uh, Islam in particular, that teach that Jesus wasn't crucified. He was an imposter or something to that effect. So, you know, so there, there are people who actually do deny the, the death and, of course, the resurrection of Jesus. So it's important that we look at the historical facts. Um, so, uh, Taylor, let's just kind of jump in uh you know uh we we we, we know that the gospels uh, accounts you know talk about the the ministry of jesus his his teachings uh and then this curious thing happens everybody hates him all of a sudden and they they decide to crucify him uh, and then you know people claim he's risen from the dead so let's talk about some some of the arguments that someone might use to sort of say yeah actually all of that you know really did happen but before he can be risen from the dead, he has to be dead. So maybe we'll start there. Yeah, yeah. Well, and uh, thanks for, for having me to, to join you, because this is a really important question and yeah. one that I care an awful lot about. Uh, I think like a lot of Christians, I, I used to believe that Jesus's death and resurrection was just something that you believed by faith or not. Hmm. Uh, but when I started studying this question for myself, I was actually amazed to find how much historical evidence there is for these essential claims yeah. about the resurrection. And so that's kind of the direction that I wanted to go. Um, so uh, one of the things that I found out was that the vast majority of scholars, both atheists and Christians, would agree to some basic facts about the historicity of Jesus's death and alleged resurrection. And I think that if we take these facts as a whole, we see that the best explanation for all the facts that we, that we secularists and Christians have to deal with I think the best explanation is the one that the, the disciples themselves gave. Yeah. So the first fact that I'm talking about is, in fact, Jesus's death and, in fact, his crucifixion uh, under Pontius Pilate. This is accepted, again, by the majority of secular scholars as well. Uh, it can be taken as historical bedrock uh, because there's early, diverse, credible, and independent attestations of Jesus's crucifixion. Okay, let's stop there. The word attestation, meaning there are multiple people attesting to it, multiple people saying it. And by That's the right. way, we're, we're, it is the case that we do have to rely on Scripture, you know, for, for the most part, but maybe we'll talk about maybe there are some other sources as well. But even within the Scripture, even though it's all the Bible, there are yeah. multiple sources. And I think people think the Bible is one thing. but anyway. Right, and, the, and there's a certain interconnectedness to the different accounts within the Bible that 
would have been very, very difficult to get together and collude on mm. and stuff like that. So I think that we do have credible eyewitness testimony within t- uh, Scripture itself, but also outside of Scripture. And it, in fact, all of the ancient sources that reference Jesus's death are in complete agreement on this. Mm. There isn't a piece of evidence from the ancient literature that contradicts Mm. um, the crucifixion. Mm. So that anything that you might point to comes much, much later than first and and second century sources that we have. For Uh, for example, I mentioned Islam earlier. So the Quran was written, you know, in the seventh century. So that's many hundreds of years, no eyewitness accounts. Um, And there are some historians of the time, you know, relatively contemporary, at least contemporary to the to the authors of the scripture. Yeah. So they, Certainly so they agree that comes okay. to mind. Okay. Tacitus would be another one. Okay. Lucian, uh, Marabar, Serapin. Okay. Uh, these are all, you know, roughly contemporaneous sources that are corroborating this key fact that Jesus did in fact, uh, die as a result of crucifixion. Okay. Good deal. Yeah. All right. So, and, and the Bible goes through, you know, a lot of details where there you know, like the Gospels will have different details that sort of come together, too. Um, like the the women uh, follow him to the tomb, yeah, so like they yeah. knew where he was buried. And um, let me talk quickly about what is uh, kind of an unintended uh, uh, coincidence or an unintended... Some, so sometimes there are, people make arguments that things are... You can trust that they're true in the Bible because you have different these different multiple attestation, but they kind of say the same thing. Yeah, I mean, so there, there's there's a interconnectedness that I referenced earlier, uh, and, and there's some good examples of that. But in this context, really, what I'm thinking of is this criterion of embarrassing testimony. Mm. When historians are evaluating the credibility of an ancient document, there's certain things that they look for, and this is high on the list. Mm. And what this criteria basically says is that if something in the text is either embarrassing to the author or to the subject that the author is writing about, mm-hmm. then it's very likely, very unlikely to be made up. Mm. You wouldn't make up something embarrassing, especially in first century Judea, uh, if you were writing a text yeah. about your Messiah, for instance. Yeah. So, like your Messiah getting crucified is really embarrassing, and like, especially you know. when the Jewish expectation of the Messiah was that he would be a military leader mm. and a revolutionary, and he would free the Jews from Roman oppression and all of those things. Yeah. So in the modern parlance, we'd say there's a lot of cringe yes, uh, yes. with uh, with Jesus being crucified. And yet they still say he really was crucified. Well, and, and, and that, that, Jewish, uh, that Jewish beliefs were that anybody who was hanged on a tree was cursed. Hmm. And so for these Jews to say that, no, in fact, Jesus was the Messiah and he was hung on a tree is provocative. Mm-hmm. That's, a, that's an embarrassing criterion. Mm. Also... That the the women are the ones that found the empty tomb. Ah, that uh, you know, in in those times, it their testimony wouldn't have even been permissible mm. in the court of law. Yeah, and, and yet, yet the this Christian is, witness hangs on women saying, "Hey, right. the tomb is empty." That's, that's right. Very interesting. And then okay. you know the the disciple that Jesus loved, the one that he said, "You know, on this rock I will build my church." Uh, mm. Saint Peter, he's rebuked by Christ. Mm just before he, he goes to his, his execution. Yeah. And, you know, there's other things as well. I mean, after the, the crucifixion, the the disciples were scattered and scared and hiding from the yeah. Romans. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, it's not just Peter that, that ran away frightened and denied Christ. Yeah. And this is all stuff that I, I think is very unlikely to be made up because it's so embarrassing and detrimental 
yeah. uh, to their movement. Yeah. So what are some of the sort of alternatives to, uh, you know, the claim of resurrection, right? Like, um, may, I'll just throw out a name. Bart Ehrman's a kind of famous New Testament mm. critic and scholar. And he has, from what I understand, changed his mind. He thinks that Jesus was buried in a mass grave. You know, no one says that. He just, I don't know, it's just his own theory he sort of comes up with. Um, but if he wasn't crucified, because when we say in the creed every week, we say he's crucified, buried, you know, I mean, yeah. so all of that kind of is of a piece. What, what, what else could have happened or would have happened? Well, you know, there, there are a, a lot of different theories about this uh, looking back. But what I think is really important to talk about before I, I jump into what's wrong with those theories is that there's no contemporaneous theories. Mm. Uh, you know, even the opponents, this is another criteria, by the way, of, of credible um, historical mm -hmm. uh, documentary evidence, is that the, the testimony that we have that was hostile to Jesus even they affirm that he died by crucifixion. Now, they didn't think that he was the Messiah. Yeah. I mean, for goodness sakes, they're the ones that crucified him. But it appears that not only did they not deny that Jesus died by crucifixion, they, they actually affirm it. Okay. And so people that are looking back now and saying, well, he was probably buried in a, in a mass grave, um, that is not based on the historical data. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's almost like a... Um, a naturalist biased almost, I want to say, yeah. um, to kind of avoid the problem that this presents us with when, yeah. we, when we take these facts as a whole. Yeah. Okay. So <clears throat> the critic might say, fine, he was crucified. Who cares? You know, that's what you do when you, you tick off the Romans. Um, uh, and the, the really controversial part comes when, you know, we claim that the, the body isn't in the tomb. Right. And so, um, what, what do we do with that? You know, what, what, what Christians hang their entire faith on yeah. this belief that Jesus was bodily risen from the dead. By the way, bodily risen from the dead, not just spiritually risen or something yeah. like that. I mean, bodily yeah. risen from the yeah. dead. Um, how can we trust that this isn't some big con game, you know? Yeah. Well, so again, we're going to move to what, what I would say is the second historical fact that we all have to deal with, uh, and that is the fact of the empty tomb. This is historically not particularly controversial, again, okay. uh, a majority of scholars, both secular and uh, religious, w would affirm this. And then we start to get into the credibility of this claim from uh, it's embarrassing details like the women are the ones that found okay. the tomb. Uh, the uh, enemy testimony here is that the disciples stole the body. Okay, so well, which is an admission that the tomb was empty. That's right. But what they're saying is that the disciple, well, maybe they did. Maybe maybe the disciples were like, let's take his body uh, and build like a shrine, see a secret right. shrine somewhere that we can go right. reverence him or something. Right. Why didn't they, how do we know they didn't do that? Yeah, and that has to do with a, another fact that we'll talk about later. But really, uh, we, we have to ask what would have been the motive for the early Christians to do this. Now, keep in mind, if they stole the body, then they know he's not resurrected because they, they're the ones that took the body. Yeah, they, they, right. Therefore, they know that every testimony, this, this entire movement that they build after the resurrection of Christ, it's all based on a lie. Not only would this been a, a great way to get yourself tortured and killed, which in fact did happen to most of the disciples, yeah. Yeah. Um, but uh, there is no evidence that any of them ever recanted mm. on this testimony. There's a saying that two people can keep a secret if one of them is dead, mm. right? These are 
uh, an oppressed people that are systematically rounded up, persecuted, and killed, and none of them ever recanted their yeah. testimony that Jesus Christ was risen. Okay, now, so I mean, the people. Dis- I'm sorry. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say that. Yeah, I'm anticipating this objection already. Well, yeah. people die for stuff that they believe that's not true all the time. You know, we have, um, you know, violent jihad in some cases. The you know mm-hmm. attackers on 9/11 certainly went to their death for something they believed to be true. And I look at that and I say, well, that's a mistaken belief. Why isn't this the same thing? And again, it's the fact that the disciples would have known. If they stole the body. If they stole the body, that it wasn't true. Okay, well, I'm going to throw one you probably never heard. Okay. Uh, The disciples didn't steal the body. The powers that be stole the body, and the disciples were mistaken. I mean, people actually do claim that. So why is it the case that the enemies of Jesus, or is it the case that they might have stolen his body? Well, so, and this kind of goes back to uh, maybe the former challenge that that I maybe didn't uh, remember to come back and address as well, and that's that... uh, one of the primary motivations in executing Jesus was to tamp down a potential mm. revolution. You see, the, the Romans and obviously the Jewish Sanhedrin as well uh, were, were not ignorant about the beliefs about the Messiah. Mm. So if the Romans, for instance, hear that there's this Jesus character, a lot of people believe that he's the Messiah, they're thinking in their head, okay, this guy is going to lead a political revolution. Yeah. I've got a stomp this out in its crib. It would be a very strange thing to do if that's your context. It would be very, very strange to move the body uh, and then create this image mm. in, the, in the public that they're, you know the, the grave of the Messiah is empty. He must be resurrected. Yeah. That would be a bizarre thing to do. And then when they needed to tamp it down, which they obviously were very concerned with doing after the Christian movement really got started, they could have produced the body. Mm. They could have said, look, you know... The, here he is. Here he is. Yeah. Here he is right here. Yeah. He's not risen. And here's his bones. So stolen body theories, they, they really don't hold up to much scrutiny, right? I mean, it just doesn't seem to make a lot of sense. There, there's, there's no historical data that those arguments would be based on. They would be primarily philosophical in nature, the, the arguments mm-hmm. that one would make. Um, and by the way, Jews didn't go around touching dead bodies. It was uh, correct. You know, so, uh, for, for the record, I mean, so either the Jewish leaders or the disciples who were Jewish, you know, that I, hard to imagine them breaking into a tomb and and um, you know wanting to cart around a dead body, which was unclean. Um, okay, so there are other theories, though. All right, well, maybe he wasn't dead, right? The, what, yeah, the swoon theory. I swoon think. theory. Yes. So tell us about that one. Well, I'm, I mean, look, uh, I think the data both historically and the data from modern science tells us that Roman crucifixion was always lethal. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't think that there was any serious doubt about this question at the time. Yeah. Um, but knowing what we know now, if any of the accounts uh, about Jesus's death and about Roman crucifixion in general are correct, mm-hmm. then Jesus didn't get off that cross alive. And he, and he certainly didn't just... He swooned and then awakened yeah. in the cool of the tomb three days later without food or water, yeah. desperately, you know, yeah. clinging to life. Cru- then, crucifixion was meant to humiliate and and kill. That's and right. I mean, it was the Romans sending a message. It's not, you know, it it would be. I have heard. I, I I can't verify this. I've heard that if the guards at the cross didn't kill the person crucified, they themselves could face the death penalty. There, there seems to to be some pretty good evidence to to right. say that that's the case, but. Uh, there, there is excellent evidence that many victims died just from the flogging before the, yeah. they were actually crucified. Yeah. So this is a brutal process. So imagine you're, you're flogged and, and you're, the skin on your back is flayed, and then you're nailed to a cross and you're left to hang there. 
when you come down, uh, you're going to be in desperate need of medical care if you survive yeah. something like yeah. that. So I, I don't think it's plausible to suggest that, uh, you know, Jesus was in the tomb and it cooled off a little bit and he started, he got some sleep and he felt better and he yeah. got up and, and went and, uh, if anything it would have been bleeding the gave whole time his disciples or the great commission. Yeah. Yeah. yeah uh, so that, that's not plausible to me, but also, uh, there, there seems to be fairly good evidence that Jesus was stabbed, uh, to make sure that the job mm. was done. Mm -hmm. Uh, so, and blood and water comes blood out, Blood and water which comes means, out. which, what, which, what which, which again, the, the authors of the New Testament wouldn't have really understood the medical science behind that. They were just recording what they saw. Yeah. That Jesus was stabbed in the side and blood and water came out. But, you know, now in modern medical science, we, we know that that phenomenon does actually occur when a victim dies of asphyxiation. Okay. okay. So water fills the lungs. If you were yeah. opening it up, blood and water would spill out. You said an interesting word, coag uh, I'm sorry, asphyxiation. I was thinking coagulation, which is a process of the blood, but asphyxiation, that is how people die with crucifixion, right? And That's right. They how, suffocate slowly. Okay. As they, so as the they arms enter. being out, it yeah. means they can't get enough air eventually, right? So Th um, That's right. And um, so there, there were different things that the Romans would do depending on the victim and how much they wanted them to suffer. Okay. It would have actually been seen as a mercy if they had broken his legs as they sometimes would for their victims. Which they did to the two thieves, according to scripture. Right. And they, mm -hmm. So if you, if you break their legs, then, you know, you, you might imagine it pretty hard to support yourself enough yeah. to be able so to they're going to foot rest. when you have when you have nails driven through your feet or through your ankles depending on how you see that playing out yeah but uh that that's what would typically happen or they would have a foot rest so that they could get up enough to breathe but if you broke their legs their arms would go up and they would start to suffocate more quickly yeah uh, it looks as if in jesus case they just let him wear out until he yeah. can hold himself up and they he ultimately would would have suffocated Do you, have you ever heard how long if you're just hanging from the cross no footrest for example how long you could survive like that geez i i really don't know the answer to that one i i've heard it's as little as 11 minutes but i was hoping you might have heard something too so that like I might be making that up, but not I'm, very long is yeah, what I suspect. Yeah, it, it, it doesn't take long. Okay, we, we kind of went back to crucifixion, yeah. but I think those details are important because, um, well, I just think they're important. So, he, the bot, the the tomb is empty. There's there's there seems to be universal agreement with that, and and I think as you said, most importantly, the contemporaneous that is at the time, right. it was it was not a question of the tomb being empty. No one are no one ever. Produced the body. No one ever produced the, the body. The Christians Jesus, right? and the Jews and the Romans all agreed. We don't. The body is gone. The gone. And they might have been. Might have been like the standoff, right? Like they're all pointing at each other, right? That's right. The yeah. spy. Isn't that a Spider-Man meme or something? Uh, I don't know. Anyway, what to call that. there's like they're all pointing at each Certainly other and said, "You did it. No, you did it. You, you know, yeah. you did it." But the reality is, they all agreed the body wasn't there. Now, in the scriptures, there are these appearances of Jesus, mm. which. Uh, might read, you know, uh, uh, I can imagine a 15-year-old reading them and thinking, wow, this is fantastical. I, I would yeah. never be so foolish as to believe something like this. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe talk through some of those appearances. Christians believe they really happen. Uh, what are some good arguments against them and maybe good arguments for them? Yeah, so this is a, a good question, and I'm going to approach it kind of broadly because you reminded me again of something else that I, I, I didn't uh, address fully before. 
And that's this idea that uh, maybe it wasn't a bodily resurrection. Uh -huh. Maybe it was something, you know, this was figurative language that they mm -hmm. were using. And a lot of times uh, people that uh, favor that view would point, never mind, it doesn't deal with the empty tomb, but uh, they would point to Acts and say, well, look, uh, you know, Paul didn't have a physical experience of Jesus. He encountered, you know, Jesus in something more of a, you know, unembodied, uh, supernatural mm -hmm. way. And maybe that's the nature of all of these resurrections. But the problem with that is within the very text of Acts uh, itself, you find that there is also uh, a bodily resurrection accounts. Mm. Uh, and so if we take one seriously, then I, I think that we have to take mm. the other seriously. And also in Luke, uh, which Luke is the author of Acts, Luke also records uh, in, in the, the Gospel of Luke, um, the disciples encountering the bodily resurrected Jesus. They put their hands in his side. They put their hands uh, and, and feel the holes where mm -hmm. the nails were. And so uh, if, if we're going to say that, you know, Luke is credible on his description of Paul's encounter of the resurrected Jesus, then, uh, and then not say that he was reliable on the others, then I think that that exposes the real problem I'm getting at. And this is a philosophical objection. It's, mm. a, it's a philosophical bias against the supernatural. Mm. It's not a matter of the historical data. The mm. historical data is clear. Now, and judging whether it's believable or not, um, you know, you, you have to ask yourself, what presuppositions are you bringing to the table? So our, if I've already ruled out that resurrections don't happen and it's right. not possible, well, then no amount of historical data is going to be sufficient. Yeah. And we our first video we did was I think it was the fifth one in the series. Yeah. And it was on whether miracles were possible. And essentially, the our, our argument right. would be. Um, if God exists, then miracles are possible because the greatest of all miracles is creation from nothing. And so that's you know, right. Yeah. yeah. I, and I think that if that um, if that is the case, that the universe began a finite time ago out of absolutely philosophical nothingness. Yeah. Then that is, by definition, a supernatural event. It's not a natural event. Yeah. Because it didn't it was the beginning of nature. Nature wasn't around to create itself. So if that's true. Yeah. Every other miracle in the Bible is at least possible. So the question isn't, are miracles possible? Is it, is it possible that God exists? Because, of course, if God does exist, then miracles are possible. Yeah. So um, probably, though, what was happening was that these were all crazy people, and they were mm -hmm. having a hallucination. Right. Right? Yes. yes. That's what people say. Yeah. Well, so there's a few problems with this as well. Um, Jesus didn't just appear resurrected to the disciples individually, which that already would have been really strange if different people in different places had the same mm. hallucination uh, and then came together and talked about it. It's like, oh, me too. Oh, me too. It'd be more likely that they were... Um that they're experiencing a supernatural event, then they are having the same hallucination. I'm not aware be, yeah. in the in the modern literature of any other kind of occurrence where uh, different people in different places have the, the same, same hallucination, hallucination yeah. Yeah. Uh, in, in that way. Yeah. But what's even worse than that is that there's certainly good reason uh, from what what we know about um, the the modern science people don't have collective hallucinations. See, because yeah. Jesus didn't just appear to individuals, he also appeared to groups of people at the same time. Mm. So imagine, you know, being in a group of 
hundreds of people or thousands of people and everyone having the same hallucination. They all have this experience together and presumably no one's doing LSD or anything like that. And they all have this same uh, hallucination that yeah. is really, really bizarre. So we have to ask ourselves, okay, uh, did, is, is this, uh, story historically credible? Uh, or is it is it not? And that yeah. really is what this comes down to. Yeah. And conveniently, I think that is the the third historical fact that not even secular scholars will contend with. Generally speaking, mm -hmm. is that the origin of the disciples' belief was that they truly believed that they had experiences of Jesus after his death. That's not really in dispute. Yeah. Uh, you know, we're talking yeah. atheist scholars will generally concede that Bart Ehrman among them. Yeah. So if we're saying that collective hallucinations don't happen, they definitely had an experience in, of, of the risen Jesus, what they thought was the risen Jesus, then you know, we're, we're pretty much left with saying that they, they were all attacked by the same delusion. Yeah, right. Um, there's, we're out of time, but there's one other sort of category I just want to throw out, uh, and it's the category of the hostile witness, right? Um, so... There were people who believed that Jesus was truly risen from the dead, crucified and risen yeah. from the dead, who uh, sort of came to that belief. Uh, I don't want to say kicking and screaming, mm. although that, that might be putting it mildly. Yeah. But Paul in particular. Tell us just – I, I do have videos about Paul, but you know, just uh, in, in the series, they wouldn't have gotten to them yet. So tell us a, a, enough about Paul to, to explain kind of what a hostile witness is. Yeah, well, this is really important, and I, I happen to think that Paul is our best historical source on Jesus, even though he was not one of the 12 disciples. Paul mm -hmm. uh, actually was formerly known as Saul of Tarsus, and he was a member of the Jewish ruling class, mm. and uh, he was very, very um, passionate, let's say, in upholding Jewish law, and he viewed Christianity as a dangerous heresy, mm. and it was his personal mission to stop this movement. No one did more to persecute the early Christians than Saul of Tarsus. Mm. He was responsible directly for the murder of mm. Christians. So this is a person who's an extremely hostile actor to early Christianity. And then he has this encounter with Jesus Christ, the risen Christ, in the figurative sense that I This is after resurrection. Before. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Uh, where he came to believe, oh my gosh, it's true, mm -hmm. through this encounter with Christ. And after that, he becomes the most prolific evangelist in the first century. He's written uh, a good portion of the New yeah. Testament, uh, yeah. it, at least 10 of the books of the New Testament, but I think 13. Mm -hmm. um, and some of the most important doctrine yeah. that, that we get as well. And I just want to mention really quickly, I know we're short on time, but... Paul, we know, wrote everything that he wrote before AD 62. How do we know that? Paul was executed by Emperor Nero hmm. in AD 62. Hmm. That was less than a mere 30 years after Jesus' death. So when I say early, independent, credible eyewitness testimony, that's the kind of closeness I'm talking about. Yeah. And in 1 Corinthians, which was written, uh, we think, in AD 55, even closer, he makes reference in chapter 15, to a creed 
that pre-existed him, pre-existed even his encounter with Jesus. He had been teaching uh, people, uh, uh, the Gentiles primarily, uh, about Jesus Christ. And he made a, a pilgrimage to Jerusalem, to the mm. Jerusalem church, to make sure that what he was teaching was in line with what the disciples had been teaching in the Jerusalem mm -hmm. church. And that's where we get the creed in 1 Corinthians. And he said that I delivered to you what I also received of first importance. And there we get the, the central mm. facts about Christianity, that Jesus died by crucifixion, that on the third day after his death, he was raised again, and that it was yeah. a bodily resurrection. That creed had been around, around long before Paul, mm. and he's writing in AD 55. So this goes back almost to the, like right after the yeah. event. Yeah, some people, uh, Gary Habermas is a scholar. He, he, I've heard that he puts that creed in 1 Corinthians 15, which I encourage everyone to read. Um, you know, and we read it every funeral we have. It's a, yeah. There's always a portion. It's a long portion on resurrection, but always a portion of that is read. And um, so, yeah, he puts that possibly within a year of the death yes. of, of Jesus. So, And that's important know. because one of the um, major lines of attack uh, right now on the credibility of Christianity is that this idea that Jesus was the Son of God and He was mm -hmm. resurrected and all that. So this is a later invention. That mm -hmm. appears in the second or third century and yeah. all this other kind of stuff. And uh, the historical data shows that that is just not supportable. Yeah, uh, this, this goes back to the very beginning. There was no time for legendary development. Yeah. Well, we'll have to end it there. There are a lot of debates out there. There are a lot of great books about this. Um, I, I brought one into the studio. Uh, this is an old one. This is a classic. It's called Who Moved the Stone by Frank Morrison. And uh, this is a skeptical look that that brings someone to faith in Christ. So Who Moved the Stone is kind of a classic, but there's lots of good stuff. We've hit the highlights, so definitely hope, hopefully you'll do some more further study. But Taylor, thanks for uh, coming in. What a pleasure. Cool. Well, thanks for joining me this week, and thanks to Taylor Neal for stopping in. Again, he's with Search, searchnational.org. I didn't say it at the beginning. I'm Evan McClanahan. I'm the pastor at First Lutheran in Houston. And you can subscribe to this channel. That would be appreciated. Email me at christianbasicsclass at gmail.com. Go to flhouston.org for worksheets for all the classes. And until next time, take care.